Welcome back. We are in Genesis chapter 43, verses 30, verse 33. Let's go. Chap- Genesis 43, chapter 33. That is a mouthful. All right, so we've got Joseph's brothers who are eating with him now. Uh, Joseph being one of the most important people in the entire world, having all this access to the grain because of the provision and the foresight that God had given him regarding this. And now his brothers are there. They're eating at different tables. And in 33, it says, And they sat before him, the firstborn according to his birthright, and the youngest according to his youth. And the men looked in astonishment at one another. Right? We talk about this all the time, observation, interpretation, application. You could look at this and just fly right past it. But how cool is this? Why were they looking in astonishment at each other? It's because they're saying, we never told him our birthright. How do they know our age from oldest to youngest? There are a lot of us. It's not like there's two people or three people in the family and he just got lucky. He seated all of us. Remember, there were 12. Joseph is the one there. That means there's 11 others. That's incredible. <laughs> and Joseph did this intentionally. So they're wondering how in the world the Egyptians or, or Joseph knew their birth order. It's not like you just go online in our society or something or ask some Google bot or artificial intelligent bot and say, what's the birth order of the so-and-so family? So pretty cool there. So they are astonished at it. 34, then he took servings to them from before him, but Benjamin's serving was five times as much as any of theirs. So they drank and were merry with him. So remember, Joseph is still testing his brothers. He's testing their honesty and their sincerity. He's also testing their jealousy It was their jealousy that drove his brothers to sell him to human traffickers. They were jealous that he had this dream saying, you're going to bow down to me. They were jealous that their uh, dad had given Joseph this special coat with long sleeves, colorful sleeves, and all that stuff. And it was jealousy that drove him to say, let's kill him. And then Judah to say, no, let's not kill him. Let's actually sell him to the human traffickers. Think about that. They could have killed him. and, And think about how this all played out. They wanted to kill him at first and just say, get rid of him. And then they're like, no, there's something else better that we can do. We can actually sell him for a profit, and then he'll just suffer the rest of his life, and that'll probably be even worse for him than, being, than dying. And so we'll get money, and he'll get even a worse punishment. Right? So many people think about not wanting to live anymore. There's times when you're just like, I don't know why I'm still alive. I don't, I don't want to be here. At, most, at some point in a lot of people's lives, maybe most people's, they get to that point. I'm not saying they get truly serious about, about it, but they, they just say, what, would it be better if I'm just not here? Who would miss, he, miss me? What would happen? Right? That type of deal. But in all of this, God was working. God was working on Joseph's brothers. God was working on Joseph. He paved the way through these, what we would call horrible earthly circumstances. And then Joseph rose to prominence when he was trafficked. Then he rose to prominence later after he was let out of jail. And here he is, one of the most powerful people in all the region and probably in all the world. But he had to have been in the situation where his brothers literally wanted him dead and then decided, no, let's not have him killed. Let's just profit from him and let him suffer for the rest of his life as a slave. Right? So if you're going through tough times, don't just focus on the now. Don't focus in the past. That's where Satan wants you to go, and don't focus on the future. What's going to happen, or when's it going to be relieved, and there's going to be some kind of uh, resolution of whatever the situation is, because sometimes 
that situation doesn't get resolved. Sometimes that person who's sick dies. Sometimes that money that was there never comes back. Sometimes your reputation is just gone from an earthly standpoint. But let's just trust God and trust that He has us where He needs us at this moment. Right? Think of a friend or a peer who's been far more financially successful than you. Does, does that provoke jealousy? We have to pull in those reins of jealousy. Because otherwise, it's going to eat you alive and it's going to make you bitter. And it's going to actually hurt you and harm you from being able to excel and do what you thought you might be able to do or achieve what you might be able to achieve because you've got all these negative thoughts, these fears and anxiety and covetousness of someone else. Now, one way I've fought to help with this is to pray for that person, that they would use their wealth and power and time to share the gospel rather than trying to win some earthly competition. Right? I can look at that person and say, I really wish I had that car. I really wish I had that house, that location, that ranch, that early retirement, that big position, the whatever. Um, you know, Maybe someone's looking at someone else's spouse is better looking or the kids are more athletic. I mean, you could go on this a million things. Whatever makes you jealous. Think about that right now. Think about one person in your life who you may be jealous of. Maybe it's a neighbor, a family member, or a friend. You could, A, be jealous of them, and it doesn't affect them because they probably don't know you're jealous of them. It only pervert, hurts you, creates bitterness, holds you back. Or you could say, you know what? I pray, Lord, that the whatever, success, early retirement, big bank account, promotion, blah, 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 ranch, anything that they have that I am jealous of, I pray that you would use that their, their circumstances, their time, their money, and, and just help them to want to win souls to Christ, to use that time, that money, that gift, whatever, to win people to you. And if you do that, you're going to see that person differently. It'll help that jealousy dissipate because we're given these gifts, these talents, if you will, the parable of the talents, and God's going to say, what did you do with what I gave you? Not what I gave them. What did you do with what I gave you? And that's what we want to do. 44, and he commanded the steward of his house, saying, Fill the men's sacks with food, as much as they can carry, and put each man's money in the mouth of his sack. 2, also put my cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest, and his grain money. So what's going on? He's saying, put the grain in there, put the money in there, and put my special silver cup, which we'll learn a little bit more about here in a few verses. But Egyptian cups symbolized authority. But they were also used to worship false gods. We call it divination. It's likely that Joseph did not use his, to, his silver cup to worship false gods, but rather just used it for its natural use uh, for drinking. Um, and so that he, people wouldn't, uh, you know, would just kind of think, he, oh, he's, you know, he's an Egyptian, he's one of us, but he doesn't actually have to use it to, to worship other gods or anything. Um, and so then it says, so he did according to the word that Joseph had spoken. Verse 3, as soon as the morning dawned, the men were sent away, they and their donkeys. When they had gone out of the city and were not yet far off, Joseph said to his steward, get up, follow the men, and when you overtake them, say to them, why have you repaid evil for good? Is this not the one from which my Lord drinks and with which he indeed practices divination? You have done evil in so doing. All right, so what's going on here? Joseph is still testing his brothers. He's put them through a battery of tests yet. They don't know that, know they're being tested, but he's watching. He's watching every second. 
And know this, my friends, God will cringe. Um, God will test you your whole life. <laughs> Sorry, I said the word cringe. It was uh, came out wrong in my words that I had typed on here. It got uh, mis... Uh, what's it called? Autocorrected. God will test you your whole life. And sometimes we come out of a trial thinking, wow, I hope that's the last struggle, the last test. But the waves of life, the waves of testing will take place again in some form. So rather than fear the next test or get upset when it comes, why don't we agree together right now to embrace this journey that God has set before us, to live fearlessly, trusting God and thanking Him and praising Him regardless of our earthly circumstances. If we did that, we would have power, so much power, to help so many more people because it would be reflected in our actions and our words and in our attitude. All right, and um, we talk about this uh, cup of divination and verse 6. So he overtook them and he spoke to them these same words. And they said to him, Why does my Lord say these words? Far be it from us that your servants should do such a thing. Look. We brought back to you from the land of Canaan the money which we found in the mouth of our sacks. How then could we steal silver or gold from your Lord's house? With whomever of your servants it is found, let him die. And we also will be my Lord's slaves. So they know what happened. They know that they didn't steal this. They know that they actually didn't steal the the grain in the first place. They're, They're saying, we brought the money back that should have been yours. We don't know how it got in our sack. And now that you're saying there's a cup in our sack, there's no way it's in our sack, right? They feel in their heart of hearts that they're being truthful and honest, and they are. Um, but this was planted on them as a test. And notice that they also refer to themselves as servants. Far be it from us that your servants should do such thing. They're saying, we're serving you. We're here, here to care for you. We're not here to steal from you. Um, and then it says, with whomever of your servants this cup is found, let him die. And we also be the Lord's slaves. So they're so confident in their honesty in this moment that they're literally willing to risk their lives if proven wrong. What a change has taken place. They are doing really well in this test. Now we can look back and we can point the finger at Joseph's brothers and be like, They're awful. I can't believe they were jealous. I can't believe they tried to hurt him. I can't believe they wanted him dead. I can't believe they accepted money to sell him to human traffickers. Guess what, folks? Friends, 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 listen to this. We've all done things in our past that we regret, but we don't need to live on those regrets. The question is, do we still look like that person in the past, or have we changed? Have we repented? Have we asked forgiveness? And is our life so much different now, right? Back then, they wanted revenge. They wanted to be on top. They didn't want to be a servant. They wanted to be a leader. They were willing to lie. They were dishonest. They were accepting money in exchange for a human life. Now they're being honest. They're being caring. They're willing to put their own lives on the line. They're being uh, active rather than, than passive and just letting things happen under their noses. There's a huge change that's going on, and Joseph recognizes this. And remember, Joseph is a symbol, we call it typology, he is a type of Christ. So that's what Jesus does, right? God is patient. God looks at us. He doesn't judge us for our past once we accept him as our Lord and Savior. He forgives us as far as the east is from the west, and he wants to see us different. And that's why the Holy Spirit indwells us, that he may overflow out of us 
so that our deeds and actions represent Jesus to others, right? Because we may be the only Bible that they ever read. We want to be the hands and feet of Jesus, and He gives us that power by living inside of us that we are the temple, and combined, we're all the church, and we get to have a huge impact on this world. He doesn't need you. He doesn't need your money. He wants you. He wants you to be part of the team. If you're not part of the team, today is the day of salvation. Lord, thank you so much for anybody out there and any jealousy that may be in my life or covetousness, Lord. Help us. We don't want to covet. It doesn't make us feel good. It makes us feel bad. It doesn't take us to a good place, but a bad place. It's not from you, Lord, but from the devil. He wants us to fear and think about things that we don't have or can't have and have all this self-doubt. You, on the other hand, say, don't look at what they have. Look at what I have given you. Lord, help us to be grateful for what you've given us, whether it's plenty or we say, or it's not even uh, not plenty from an earthly standpoint, but to know when we get to heaven, it will be more than enough. And what you've given us in this life is more than enough. Help us to be grateful for that, Lord. In your amazing name we pray. Amen. This podcast brought to you in part by the Portfolio Protection Store, where smart investors go to protect their life savings from stock market losses. Visit our website to register for our webinar, theportfolioprotectionstore.com. The webinar is about portfolio protection and safe money ideas for ages 50 plus. Visit theportfolioprotectionstore.com. Located in Austin, Texas, license number 288-7886.